in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. We get to go into the lion's den this morning. This is probably what is the the most well-known part of the book of Daniel. And so let's, let's read this and pray. This is the word of our God. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed according concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. 
No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy. And he, God has spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, in our weary world, we often wonder what you are up to. And I just ask today that you would show us the depths that Jesus went to love, forgive, and then equip us and send us out as your ambassadors of peace, the salt of the earth, even those who are willing to suffer for your sake. And so form us into what you've declared us to be. And we need, for that, we need your spirit to fill us with wisdom, with understanding, the spirit of Christ dwelling in us. And so we ask you to send him to us today and, and pour out a present overwhelming awareness of your love for us. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. So one of the, the themes in the book of Daniel that, that starts in chapter 1 and all the way through is how God's people are seen and experienced by their neighbors, by their neighbors who don't believe the same things. All right, so how will Israel live their faith and, and serve God well in, the, in front of a watching world? Right? The world wants to know if our God is living and active from heaven here on earth, uh, what difference does it make? All right, and it's no different today. Right? I, I, one of our um, teaching elders in the Presbytery sent, sent this one out to some of the pastors it's a good article on, on how a non-Christian was processing some of the church, right? And unfortunately, the only time we make the news as the church is when someone screws up royally. And that's when the world pays attention, right? And the latest in the last couple months has been from Hillsong in New York City. But here's what a guy named Ben Sixsmith 
non-Christian, non-religious, um, writes about what happened and how he thinks about Christians. What he said is, if you make yourself a very public representative of God rather than a humble messenger, it's a dangerous business when you are, like all of us, a flawed human being, a very flawed human being. And then you add in all the sweet temptations of wealth and fame. It's especially true because if you put yourself up on a pedestal, you have farther to fall. He says, I'm not religious, but still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel like their beliefs should make me uncomfortable for not imitating them. But if they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to look more like them, instead it looks very much like they want to become more like me. <laughs> Pretty insightful words right? from somebody who's not a Christian. He's saying, if you're going to be a follower of a living God, do you look any different? Right? Is your testimony, well, it leads into our story of Daniel, right? inspiring, even infuriating and making, <laughs> making other people uncomfortable because they can't, right, they, they can't make sense of you. Right, the story of Daniel and the lion's den, that's what it's about. It's about being God's representative in the world, with the world watching, and being willing to take that risk, even if it costs you. Right? All eyes are in Daniel, on Daniel in our text. Some are full of awe, like King Darius. Some are full of disgust and jealousy. But regardless, that's the point. The world is watching. We're all participants in this drama that's happening in the conflict between the church and the world. And the question is, who is going to become like who? And what will give us as followers of Jesus the courage to stand out and be different? Right? And so if I frame it that way, I'm guessing this is already different than how you've heard this text preached. Right? That if you've been a Christian for a long time, you probably have a problem with Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, maybe you've I mean, don't you? I mean, maybe you've heard sermons like this on this passage that sound an awful lot like if you take the leap of faith like Daniel, trust God, pray three times a day, strong and courageous, willing to take a stand for your God, by your, even by yourself, God will tame the lions in your life. Right? Trust, and God will deliver you from the lions that are assaulting you. Which is beautiful, <laughs> completely different than what Jesus said to us this morning, isn't it? Take heart. You will have tribulation in this world. Right? We will suffer for his sake. Besides, if that was the message, what would you say to the martyrs? The countless martyrs in the, in the history of the church. Guys like Polycarp. Right? Second generation Christ, Christian. Learned everything he learned from the gospel of John, from the writer of John. Right, when he was arrested, similar to Daniel, he was taken to an arena with ravenous beasts in the background ready to tear him to pieces. And while he was on trial in front of everyone, the, the Roman government said, have respect for your old age. Chill out, old man. <laughs> Repent and say down with the atheists, which he was talking about Christians. And Polycarp, the faithful Christian, says, 86 years I've served my God, and he has done me no wrong. So how could I blaspheme my God and my King and my Savior? 
And that's when the Roman government says, all right, you don't fear the wild animals, we'll burn you. And Polycarp said, great, I'll burn for an hour, but that's nothing compared to the eternal judgment of my God. Do what you want with me. <laughs> you know, in his 90s, astounding. So here's the point. There must be more to this story than just um, dare to be a Daniel and stick your neck out in order to be protected from suffering, right? So what are we supposed to learn as we see God's control in the midst of this? And that's what we're going to look at as we learn from the lion's den. It's about, all about how the church should live in the world, how you and I should live among our neighbors Right, so that's point one. The church is meant to live in the world, right? In the world. So if you look at our passage, several times it says what Daniel's character is like. He's without fault, um, without blemish, blameless. Right, and that's that's what we've been told all along. It's supposed to trigger your your Bible memory from chapter one if you're reading this book. He was from the tribe of Judah. He was a young guy. Um, they brought him because he looked good. He was without blemish. And it turns out to be foreshadowing, right? That he was a good guy, incorruptible, uh, faithful to God, even in the temptations of wealth, of fame, the temptation to use power to serve himself. He's, he's blameless. He's someone who was sent by God, planted by God, in Babylon to be God's public representative even though it's dangerous, <laughs> right? To, to work for the good of God's enemies. I, you can tell I haven't gotten over that whole mission, right? Nor, nor should we. That Daniel was called to imitate the love God has for all mankind, to be merciful to all, even those who don't believe like him, even those who would put him in a lion's den, Right? And now in this story, right, he's no longer a young man. He's similar to Polycarp. He, uh, the commentators tell us he's, he's probably in his 80s. Uh, he's, he's approaching death. He's, he's getting old. He's been faithfully serving all the way through the kingdom of Babylon. The, 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 the baton of power has passed now to the P Persians, to the Medes, to King Darius. But he's, he's still the same person, regardless of who's in power. Some lessons there. <laughs> Right? And so the first point is Daniel shows us how to live in the world. He's showing us how to be the salt of the earth, how to stand out as different because we have God's values, not the world's values. Right? It's, he's embodying what Jesus would later teach that, that he, when he says to the church, you are the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its taste, how sh what, what's it good for? Right, so you got the picture. Daniel is in the government. He's up there. Uh, he's one of the top three rulers in the kingdom. Right, and he's surrounded by non-Christians. For salt to be effective, you have to go right. Salt has to be placed right where the decay happens. Right, he's in the world. That's the point. And so King Darius has set up these 120 lower-level rulers with three over for the particular purpose that they would be good guys <laughs> so that the king wouldn't suffer loss, right? They're not your, your typical uh, politicians. They're somebody who's not going to grease their own pockets. Three trustworthy men 
who aren't going to steal from the king, who are honest, who are blameless. And Daniel's name comes up. Right? That's what it says. This Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials because he was excellent, an excellent spirit was in him. So even above the rest of them, he looks good. And the King Darius is ready to make him the ruler. And so what you're seeing is Daniel is in the world, but different. He's different than his coworkers, which is why they get so mad at him. He's incorruptible. Right? He's, he's not willing to take a bribe. Right? He's willing to serve. He's, he uses his power for the good of his neighbors rather than using his power to prop himself up. And what's interesting is his coworkers assume he's like them at first. <laughs> they start looking for the skeletons in his closet, and they can't find anything. Right? It's pretty amazing. And so what we're, we're being shown in story form is Daniel is the salt of the earth, salt in Babylon. As he works for the well-being of this kingdom, um, he's different, and the world sees it. And he's different for God's sake, and the world sees that too. They not only know his impeccable, uh, high quality of just skill at his job, right? He works hard. They see his high level of moral quality and dependency, and they also see his, the motivation behind it. It's for the living God, right? And so that's the challenge for us today is it just keeps coming up is, is the main temptation for me as a Christian is I don't want to stick my neck out because I might get smacked, right? If the main temptation for Christians is to want to hide, to want to stay in a holy huddle, to not be seen because of, well, it might hurt. There might be a cost to following Jesus. Right? And there is a cost. I mean, verse 24 is pretty graphic in what happened to Daniel as he lived out his faith. Verse 24 says they maliciously accused Daniel. It's that, that same phrase from chapter 3 where they're like predators just taking pieces of flesh from him. They're eating at him, literally. Right? And yet, that's where you find Daniel, as salt, surrounded by the decay of the culture. He's in the world. Right? So, what is that teaching you? It's, he's sh showing us that Christians are not meant to hide in the corners, uh, in the darkness. We're, we're called to live out our faith publicly, to be right there where things are not well. Daniel's showing us another way of being human. Where it's my life is here to serve yours, even if it costs me. Rather than the way of life in Babylon, which everyone else exists to serve me. And if they don't, I'm going to bite, I'm going to growl, I'm going to devour, I'm going to harm. Right? So, if we are the salt of the earth, as Jesus tells us to do, if we're like Daniel... In the world, are you in the world? How's that going <laughs> for you, for me? What's your reputation at work, uh, in, at home, right, among your family? Salt is sovereignly placed into the decay in order to preserve, right? It goes into the world to pre prevent decay and corruption, and that's what God sent Daniel to do. 
Right? And if salt has lost its saltiness, its distinctiveness, what's it good for? That's the lament that we heard earlier from this non-Christian writer saying, just basically begging us to be different. So how's that going for you? (laughs) It takes a cost. It takes courage. So the question you've got to ask then is, where does Daniel get his saltiness from? Where does he get the courage, the motivation, the desire to live differently? And I think some of it comes from his name the reality that his name communicates. Daniel's name means God is my judge. God is judge. Dan, Hebrew word for judge. El, a word for God. So that's a fascinating picture in of itself. What motivates Daniel to be kind to his neighbors who are different is because God is judge which is the opposite of how the world sees that picture, that they believe if we think God is judged, then we're going to go out and just be cruel to our neighbors, justified. No. Daniel lives well, has salt, not lashing out, comfortable with people who believe differently because of the reality that God is judge. Do you? (laughs) Daniel's, we're going to see, right, He's going to let himself be vindicated by God. He's going to entrust himself to God in the lion's den. Now, if you've been with us this whole study, this this story, does it sound familiar to you? Sound a lot like chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Forced to blend in with the culture or perish, right? They, They were forced to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and his image, they too were thrown in a pit, except it was a fiery furnace. Except the, the story is different because it's not Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Now it's Darius and his ego and the, the Medo-Persian Empire. They're very similar. They're different. And here's what you're supposed to get out of this. Right? Even though Darius is a different king, a different ethnic kingdom, The way of life hasn't changed, has it? The way of the world is still the same. As one commentator put it, their dominant religion is their own abilities, their own greatness, their own strength, their own, well, they live sola bootstrappa, right? They they pull themselves up by their bootstraps and want everyone to see them and praise their name. It's very modern. They're, They're out to make their name memorable and seen and worshiped pride. That's what we've been talking about, right? See, what's, what keeps coming up is Babylon is just, is Babel all grown up, right? In, in the Tower of Babel story in Genesis chapter 11, they said, come, let us, let us reach to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves so we're not spread out over the, the face of the earth. And when you read that, I mean, I've read that several times. It's like, I don't understand what the big deal is. They want unity. They want to work together. They want to do something great. But it turns out, because everyone in Babylon are (laughs) self-namers, they don't tolerate difference very much. They aren't very kind. They they don't have that slowness to anger. See, Darius' kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon, is just carrying on the way the world works. 
It's no different. Right? And so here's, here's what I want us to see from that is, is we can then take that same picture. We live in Babylon too. We are surrounded by people who want to make a name for themselves, and so, so do I. Right? That's the temptation. Am I going to live to use people for my reputation, or am I going to let my reputation be marred in order to serve my community? For God's sake. Right? And what Daniel's co-workers show us, that if you go out into the world longing to be somebody, to get recognition, to get praise, to say, somebody love me, to applaud for me, to make your petitions to me, to make me the center of your universe, it may look strong on the outside, but on the inside, they're freaking out. If they don't get what they want, they get angry, they bite, they devour. And Tim Keller would put it this way, if you're a self-namer, when you go out into the world, if you move out into relationships, you move out into work, you move out into everything, looking to make a name for yourself, it will lead to breakdown and decay. You'll break down on the inside, you can't handle it. There'll be emptiness, there'll be ulcers, there'll be literal breakdown, there's tension, there's anxiety, because everything depends on me. And when you look at our text, that's what you see these guys doing. The ones who are the most insecure are the ones who cannot handle their being less. They're the ones who are petty, cruel, and even racist. Right? All in the name of unity. Because these are the guys who have to remind the king, oh, by the way, Daniel, that exile from Judah, has the audacity not to pray to you, O king. So, there's, so we're seeing two different ways to go into the world. One, to go in as the salt of the earth, willing to be different, to serve, even when it hurts. Or you can be a self-namer, right? setting yourself up as judge. As you look at this story, who would you rather be like? Who do you want to be like when you grow up? <laughs> right, Daniel. Right. See, unless we go out knowing we are named knowing we are loved, and knowing we are secure in God's eyes, that we have passed through God's judgment at the cross, and he still is for us, and that the only eyes that matter are my God's, we will constantly be insecure, anxious, quick to lash out and devour. So that's the question. How, how's your saltiness? Right? How's your saltiness? I mean, Daniel's really helping us you know, as I look and, and have been reflecting on this, if we're called to be the salt of the earth, when we see decay, when we see the world acting like the world, like they don't know the living God, we shouldn't be surprised. We should serve more, complain less. I mean, that's what John Stott, the pastor in London, a place that's even more secular than us, right? That's when he wrote, you know, when, if we're just going to go out and criticize everything, the violence, the disregard for human life or greed, full of a self-satisfied pride. Right? He says, if the meat's going bad and becomes inedible, there's no sense in blaming the meat. <laughs> That's what happens. The question is to ask, where's the salt preventing the decay? And if Jesus declared us to be salt in the world, there's no sense in blaming society when society just does what it does. You should ask, where's the church? 
Those are hard words. <laughs> but he, he's just encouraging us to complain less and go out and serve more. Right? So just continue to reflect on that. God has planted us here in Saratoga County, like Daniel, in Babylon, to be salt for our neighbors, for our family. Right? They see first and foremost and up close how salty you are. Uh, your coworkers, your neighborhood, you are salt just by virtue of claiming to be a Christian, by faith. Now, so if Daniel's teaching us how to be the church in the world, he's also showing us how to deal with the conflict in the world. Right? And this is the reason why this is so hard, because when you stick your neck out, people notice, and that they may or may not come after you. There may be a cost. At minimum, it's uncomfortable. Right? Because what happens is you're looking at the story, we've seen that Daniel's salt, he's there, he's among the decay. As soon as they hear Daniel's about to be promoted to the top, everybody around him just freaks out and they go after him. Right? And they figured out, well, the only way we can go after him is his faith, not his moral qualities. Right? They can't find any problems. He's squeaky clean, so, clean, so they go after his beliefs. Which is telling you something, isn't it? Right? What I love about Daniel is he doesn't have my kind of job. <laughs> he's out in the world. He's not a minister of the gospel, even though he is. Right? He's, he's in the highest places of government. He's not in professional ministry, I should say. He clearly has the skills to communicate. He could have been a prophet. He could have been a priest. But God placed him in the government. And so he's got a secular job, if you will. And his faith is public. Right? He's not out there preaching on the street corners, per se, but they all know who he represents. They know Daniel's faith, and they've heard and seen the patterns of his life. And so that's what they shoot at. That's what they come after. And this is the conflict. All right? If you're salt, and we are, and you move into the world... The world doesn't trust the church. And at worst, they don't like it. Right? And, and that's, that's usually what, that is the pattern that Jesus warned us about. That's what happens. Right? The world full of self-righteousness will look at the church and say, ah, oh, you're a bunch of hypocrites who just want the power. Right? You don't really care about justice. You're just narrow-minded with your exclusive religion. And it's really tempting for us as a church to respond and say, well, the world hates us just because we're too good. We're like Daniel. <laughs> Everybody wants to be like Daniel. Possibly a bit of self-righteousness there too. But the point is, there's a conflict where embodied here that the church and the world don't trust each other because of our allegiance to Jesus, uh, to the living God. All right, so one commentator put it like this. Here's why Daniel is suffering. It's two factors. One, he was really good at his job. He's successful. And two, he was openly committed to faith in a one, true, active, living God. Exclusive faith. Right? If he wasn't good at his job and was committed to faith, nobody would care. You know, if he was just bad at his job, they would leave him alone. But 
But what is getting us to think about if you're never opposed, if someone never gets mad at you or looks at you funny or gives you a sideways glance or accuses you of being narrow-minded, right? If we're never troubled as a Jesus follower, one, maybe it's because our lives are not very different than anyone else's or we're too quiet about it, right? Meaning, on the one hand, our lives are often not characterized by any more wisdom, honesty, kindness, or joy than anyone else. We look just like the world. We can be just as grumpy or selfish or materialistic as our neighbors. Or, on the other hand, maybe we're just scared to let people know we're committed, that we're at church every week, that God is my king, and so I submit to what he says. All right? So what what Daniel's helping us do is hold a couple things together, isn't he? Working well at our job and being public at our faith. And Daniel warns us through example that you should just expect pushback. Don't be surprised. Why? Well, if Daniel is honest and his co-workers are dishonest, there's all kinds of stories of this happening in the in the office, right? All, his ways, because he's submitting to God's word, is revealing their selfishness, and they don't like it. And so just as the presence of beauty makes us feel ugly or the presence of power may fe- make us feel weak or if you're around someone smart, makes you feel stupid, Daniel's light, because he's exposing their deeds of darkness by being different, right, exposes their blemishes and their selfishness. And so they fight back. They push back. And so I just want to encourage us as a church, be comfortable. If you're going to be light in the darkness, as Jesus called us to be, light is always strange to the dark. Expect disagreement. Expect pushback. Maybe even a cost, suffering, shame, being canceled. Right? Just expect it. But Jesus said, I am sending you as lambs into the world among wolves. A servant is not above his master. They hated me. So why do you think you would deserve or get anything different? And so if we're going to be salt, um, if we protest everything, the world's not going to hear what we're for. Right? If we protest everything, the world's not going to know who we stand for. And so part of what Daniel's letting happen is the quality of his life and his actions and his faith. He doesn't really say anything until the end. We're called to let our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, ready to give an answer to those who ask. But expect pushback. We're sent as lambs to live among the ravenous beasts of this world and to live like Jesus lived often silent, just serving in the background. Second, we should be light, which means being willing to come out of the shadows and be seen. All right, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, it was just another day in his life. He went to his house, he turned towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day. The men came by agreement because they knew what Daniel was going to do. He was predictable, he had habits, he had a discipline. Right. 
And so part of what this is telling us is be willing to be seen even if you know there will be a cost. See, Daniel's routine, it was public. <laughs> right? So here's the challenge for us as Christians. As we, this is the way you prepare to pay the cost for Christ's sake. I don't know what that will be in our particular context. If we were in a tighter restrictions in a different country, this would look different and I would preach differently. But what we do see is it's Daniel's lifelong discipline in his 80s that has formed him into this person of toughness and boldness and courage. Right? Day after day, I'm going to turn, look at Jerusalem, long for Jerusalem, think about the ways that God rules. I'm going to think about the person of my God and his will and his ways. And I want to talk to my Father in heaven. That's what Daniel did. That was his pattern. Similar to Jesus, right? Jesus would withdraw from everyone to pray in order to go out into the world. So then, when the time came to be put to the test upon threat of death, to keep God's will, to be willing to suffer for God's sake, both Daniel and Jesus, right? Not my will, but your will be done. And so the challenge for us as believers is your patterns are forming you into a type of person that you are today and what you will be in the future when the time comes to stick your neck out to be light in the darkness. And if you weren't calling out my father regularly before, it's going to be awful hard um, to do so when you're under pressure. Calling out my Father, your, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, starts to form you into a person who's willing to change, uh, willing to be different. It's forming you into salt and light. All right. So, third, right? if you're not a Christian, <laughs> this is kind of a weird sermon, isn't it? If you're on the outside looking in, right? because part of what the... Jesus and the book of Daniel are doing, are giving graphic metaphors to describe the church and the world. Right? The world are the violent predators. The church are the, the helpless farm animals. Uh, salt and decay, light and darkness. Right? And why, why do we use such us versus them language in the church if we're after unity? And of course, the short answer comes from Darius. He says there's a living God. <laughs> there is a real God who loves victims too much to let, all, let their predatorial behavior off the hook. Right. Now, I, I think if you're a non-Christian listening to this sermon, uh, feel free to call Christians out for not, using, for not being salt, for not using gracious, persuasive speech in the scriptures. I mean, that's, that's what... That guy we read in the beginning said, right? He calls us out. He says, make me uncomfortable because you believe Jesus is real. Right? But what we see is the reason we use this language is because it's in the scriptures. And for us to describe ourselves as light and salt is what we're going to see in the lion's den. It, it's a gift. We're not claiming any goodness in ourselves. We're, we're associating ourselves with Jesus. And that's the person you need to, to look at. 
right now. Let's, let's go into the lion's den, and this will be our conclusion. Right? We spent a lot of time talking about Daniel, but I really do think that the, one of the main characters is Darius, the king, and his reaction, and he's watching Daniel. Right? And the, the story goes on. He's helpless under the law to protect Daniel. His ego right, bound him by law to kill Daniel, to throw him into the lion's den. The stone is laid over the tomb, so to speak. It's sealed. And that's when the king says, May your God, whom you serve continually, there's his reputation again, deliver you. King gets no sleep. Nothing calms his anxiety for Daniel. He's tortured by the death of an innocent man, hoping against hope that God would rescue him. And the next morning at dawn, right, he runs out the, and he finds, to his surprise, a living God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel was unharmed. No bones are broken. By faith, Daniel was judged, found innocent by God, and delivered and protected. And the story ends with that great declaration to all the world. There is a living God. He is king. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He, he rescues. He delivers. He works signs and wonders here on earth just in the same way that he saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this is, this is the picture that's going to get us to want to live as salt and light, to, to take the risk, to, to carry the cost to follow Jesus. Right? Who is Daniel's faithfulness for? Right? For the living God, absolutely. But it's also done for the watching world. King Darius. That's the point. He praises Daniel. Now all of a sudden you're, you're starting, you're, he praises the God of Daniel. You're starting to see the makings of a multi-ethnic kingdom coming together around the God who delivers. Right? So if you're sleeping, this is the point to wake up. <laughs> what did Darius see? What did, does Israel, the original audience, the original hearers, what do they see as Daniel goes into the lion's den? Well, if you were a faithful Israelite and you knew the law, the scriptures, if you were fed to the beasts, you knew that that was God's judgment for the law breakers, for the guilty. It's to suffer the curse of God's law. Right? Because that's, that's who Israel is. They're in a covenant with God. And he says, if you love and obey me, you'll be safe. Right? If you disobey, there's consequences. Right? And so Deuteronomy 32, 24 says that one of the covenant curses of the law, that if you don't keep God's commandments in the Old Testament, right, this is particular to Israel, it says, I will send the teeth of the beasts against them. You will face the wrath of violent kingdoms that are like animals. And that's what happened to Israel, swallowed up by Babylon, destroyed, taken away. Right? So in Daniel, what are they seeing? They see him in the lion's den to motivate Israel to be faithful, even in the presence of lion-like cruelty, to dare to be a Daniel. <laughs> he shows them Daniel, whose name means God is judge, and Daniel is a living, willing sacrifice from the tribe of Judah, who's blameless like a lamb, thrown into the lion's den, 
to suffer the curse of disobedience. And then he's put in a grave. The stone is placed on the, the den and sealed. And then on the other side of Daniel's death, you see that Daniel was judged, found innocent, and basically went through a resurrection. <laughs> I mean, I'm describing this. Daniel is just full. It's, it's a portrait of the Messiah. That's the point. It's a portrait of what Jesus would do. And this is who we look at, the better Daniel. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, knowing his unjust death would happen, what's he do? As is his custom, he prays to his Father in heaven. Jesus, the royal seed from the tribe of Judah, like a lamb, silently glows to the slaughter. He's crucified for our sin, a sacrifice, taking the curse of the law so that we might receive its blessings. Right? That's the gospel. That God is judge is good news and that he judged me in Christ so that I did not have to bear that punishment, that I might get his grace. Right? See, in Christ, God in the flesh, the Lion of Judah became a lamb, the judge, the spotless innocent one, a willing sacrifice in love for me, sticking his neck out for me. Right? That's, that's what gives me courage to step out. And you can see more parallels, right? Jesus was buried. Matthew says that the tomb had a stone rolled over it and sealed as a deliberate echo of Daniel. Sealed and guarded. Jesus, we were told, when he died as the spotless lamb, the sacrifice, not one of his bones were broken. Because he's faithful. He's better than Daniel. Daniel is still a sinner. In contrast to the men who did get fed to the lions, all their bones were broken. And then it's on the third day we see Jesus rise from the dead to ju- for our justification to show that he too was judged and shown to be the son of God in power, to be the king of the whole world for the nations, for non-Christians, for the watching world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the testimony that we trust. We look at Jesus, who faced the lines of injustice, cruelty, and was devoured by death so that we could go out sent to do good works for the lions of the world as salt and light. Do you believe that? <laughs> right, the, the point of the story is to pave the way for Jesus. That's what Brandon was talking about this morning. Right, Daniel is a shadow, but if you turn around, you're going to see the, the bright and shining face of Jesus going into death on your place, or for, in your place on the cross. So what do you do with that? Well, C.S. Lewis says, you will never tame the lions of your life in your life unless you let God be the untamed lion in your life. Meaning... God is in charge, he's king, and he may send you into places you would never choose for yourself, but so that you might testify to Jesus who suffered for you. He may call you to suffer for his sake. So we get to rejoice as we walk in a path that was perfected for us. Because right? if, if you've come through God's judgment in Christ, what's the world going to do to you? What can, what can they do to you? Are they going to kill you? To live as 
Christ to die is gain, says Paul. <laughs> See, the message of the gospel according to Daniel in the lion's den is that God himself came down and took a taste of his own medicine, the curse of his law, to be devoured by death itself, to defang death for us so that we would not be afraid and we would go out as his witnesses. Right? So the question is, will you trust him enough to take that risk, to be seen, to move towards the decay? Right? It's going to look ordinary, but there will be a time when we're called to be honest about who we are and why we do what we do. Right? So we go out as those deeply loved, talking to our Father in heaven. We go out as salt, moving towards the world and in the world, but as light, we're not afraid to be seen, even if we expose the selfishness of others. We need them to see in us that just like Christ was for us when we were at our worst, we are for them, whether they believe like us or not. And the motivation comes from the gospel. As the hymn goes, What though the accuser roar of ills that I have done, I know them well and thousands more. But my God in Christ knoweth none. Let's pray. Our Father and our God is a powerful story. And so I pray that we got a glimpse of Jesus, we got to see your glory pass before our eyes, and we would. We would go out here ready and willing to, to be salt, as you have called us, to be light, um, to be transformed by your sacrifice for us. If there are those who do not know, um, if they're in the position of Darius watching and wondering, um, I pray they would see, uh, look to the cross, that you are a living God and you've set up a kingdom with your king, Jesus. Now, help us then go out and love as we have first been loved. In Jesus' name, amen.